Hey, very few of you probably know what my college degree was, um, but I wanted you to know that my college degree is in secondary education history. So I am a trained history teacher. And just in case any of you get out of hand today and create some kind of issue, I brought my ruler. So hopefully I won't have to use it. Uh, Honestly, I want to share with you a little history this morning. I don't think it will be boring, um, but I'll let you guys be the judge of that. If you look at the side screens, I want to talk to you about in ancient uh, times, there were a couple of ways that uh, people would conquer cities. And one way they would conquer cities is they would simply go in and they would tear down, bash down the walls and tear down the gates. But that wasn't the only way that they would do this. The other way is that sometimes what they would do is they would station troops, different troops, all the way around the city to the point where no supplies or resources could come into the city walls. And so there would be no food, no water, nothing that would come in to the point that what would happen is people would start starving to death uh, on the inside and they would finally walk out and they would surrender to the enemy. And if you have enough troops, enough time, you'll lay siege to a city and it may take weeks, it might take months, it might take years, but eventually it'll happen. And in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 and 7, what we find is this situation taking place. There is a city that has been uh, taken by siege. It's under siege. And there are people inside the city that are so hungry that they result to cannibalism. They actually start eating people. Now, you can just imagine how hungry and how overwhelmed you must be to finally eventually go to that point. And this is the way it was. Now, the text tells us that there were four lepers at a city gate. And these lepers were cast away from the city. If you had leprosy... It was a very contagious disease, and so they would put you usually outside the city. But they knew if they put the lepers outside the city, they would surely die because there were enemies. So they told the four lepers, you can stay, but you have to stay at the city gate. And now these four lepers are in a quandary because they can't go back into the city to get food or anything else there because there's no food to be had because the city has been under siege, and if they go outside, they know that they will be killed by the enemy. And so they're like, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we can't just do nothing. We've got to do something. And so at nighttime, one particular evening, they go from the gate and they begin to start walking straight into enemy lines. 
Now, the scripture says that God decided to be gracious to this city. He saw the suffering. He did not turn away from it. He knew they were struggling. And so he made a sound so loud of horse hoofs and chariots that when all of the enemies outside the city started to hear this, they ran away and they left all of their supplies behind. They left their food, their drink, their pillows, their blankets, their gold, their silver, their iPads, their flat screens. It's like all gone. And as they're running away, these four lepers are walking outside the gate. And they see these troops, but they're not coming after them. They're actually running away. And they're like, dude, look at all this stuff. We have a bountiful supply. And they gorge themselves. And they start eating and drinking. They're like, look at this, just the four of them. They're like, we're lepers and look at all this that we have. But then they came to their senses finally. And they said, we've got so much stuff. And all the people inside the city, they're starving to death. And so in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, it says this. The lepers say, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. Let's go at once and report this and call out to the city gatekeepers. So they go walking back up to the gate, and they're lepers. And, you know, the gatekeepers are like, we keep the lepers out. They're like, hey, open the door. They're like, open the door because everyone has run away, and there's all these supplies, and you can have all the people come out. And the Scripture says that the people started running out of the city, and they started eating and drinking and partying, and everything was amazing. And I can just imagine that these four lepers are sitting here off to the side because the lepers were often separated from everyone else. And I bet they started saying, what if we wouldn't have taken that risk? If we wouldn't have taken that risk, there would still be people in the city dying. But we took a risk. And now look, everyone's partying. They're celebrating. They're eating. They're drinking. They have more than enough. But it was that initial risk, the sharing of the good news, that turned everything around when they took the risk to get out of the city gate and go into enemy lines that God came through. What a feeling. I bet those guys would never forget that day. The day that they not only saved themselves, but they saved everyone in the city because they were the only ones bold enough to go and to take a risk. Now, I think some of you in this gym, you know a little bit of what that's like. You know what it's like to take a risk for another person. Some of you have taken risks for people, and you have then watched those people grow closer to God, to the point where they eventually made a commitment to Christ and they got baptized here at the wire, they got baptized 
at Prairie Creek. And you can remember the exceeding amount of joy that you had in your life because you knew all of the risks that you took, all the conversations that took place, all the times in which you sacrificed yourself to try to help that person grow closer to God. You can remember all of the risky conversations that you had. You remember the very first time that you went up to them and said, hey, would you come to church with me? And it was such a risk. Now, to be quite honest, there are other people who are in this gym today. You have no idea what that's like. Because you've never taken a risk. You've always just kind of stayed inside the city. You've stayed inside your house. You've never invested in someone else. But some of you, you've had the guts before to take huge risks for people. And you've seen what God has done as he stirred in their hearts. I personally can think of dozens and dozens of times that I've taken risks on people, that I've actually taken a Bible and I've said, hey, why don't you just read this for a little bit and I'll give them a Bible. For a while I used to give purpose-driven life books from Rick Warren away. I'd just give them to people say, hey, read it, let's do it. And then over time, I remember them finally being open to the things of God. But it took a risk. Some of you might remember inviting someone to a small group. I was just talking to someone this morning. They said, man, I went to my small group this week. It was the first time I'd ever been there. It was so amazing. That's why you need to be in small groups. But some of you have taken that risk and you've seen that happen. And some of, some of you can remember going to a coworker, and it took a few weeks and then a few months and then finally you took the risk and you asked them to go to church and then they said, no. And then you kept taking more risk and more risk and more risk until they kept saying, no, 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 no. But then finally one day they said yes and they walked in here and they sat beside you and you got to see God to start working and moving in their life. So here's the big idea this morning. And it's this. The greatest gift you can give someone is to introduce them to the God who loves them. The greatest gift that you can give to someone is to introduce them to the God that loves them. There's no greater gift that you can have than to introduce someone to the God who loves them. I mean, you can give people money. You can give people items. You can give people an opportunity. But if you want to give the greatest gift, like Christmas is coming up, like if you want to give somebody the greatest gift, the greatest gift would be to actually invest in a person and introduce them to the God who loves them. You know, quite often when I've had that opportunity to help people to get closer to God, when I've had the opportunity to baptize someone, they'll send me an email or they'll send me a text or they'll send me a Facebook message and they'll go, Man, I can't believe it, but it's been a year or two years or three years or four years, but thank you so much for investing in my life. It's made 
a total change. A few years ago, I was at the Indianapolis Zoo with my family. It was in the fall, and while we were there, in the fall, they closed down all the eating places after the last dolphin show, which is 2 o'clock. And when you have two children and a wife who haven't eaten for three hours, they become animals. And these little animals are getting upset and angry and all kinds of stuff. And so I get a phone call and I pick it up. And on the other end, they're like, hey, we just wanted you to know we're celebrating our one-year baptism anniversary. We got tons of food. Wish you were here. And I'm hungry at this point. And you got these animals all around. And I got back on the phone. I'm like, yeah, I wish I was there too, you know. And then they said, well, could you pray for us? We're just so excited. And there were these two couples that had got baptized at the same point. And I prayed with them over the phone. And it was so amazing. And after I was done praying with them, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not hungry anymore. Now my kids were still hungry, but I wasn't hungry. I was filled up because I had helped a part of the path of introducing these individuals to the God who loves them. Let me say it again, folks. The greatest gift that you can give to anyone is to introduce them to the God who loves them. Now, some of you know what that's like, but the truth is, some of you don't. You've never taken a risk. You've always kind of shrunk back. You've always not had the courage. You've always wondered, ah, I don't think so. And you just don't know what you're missing. And so this whole series, this risk series, is to inspire you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to take a risk. Not to stay inside the city wall, but to be like one of the lepers who says, I'll take a risk on somebody else. Now last week I talked about the importance of choosing a place that you'll take these risks. It's a place that you should frequent daily or multiple times during the week. And for some of you, that might be your workplace, it might be your school, it might be a restaurant that you go to, it might be uh, your kids' activities. I shared with you last week that for me right now, it's the downtown Subway restaurant. Because I go there four times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I've started reaching out and trying to encourage some of those folks. For my wife, it's our kids' soccer team and all the parents. She, she's constantly trying to think of ways that she can reach out and encourage them. Now, when you select a place to reach out to to be used by God, there are a couple practical things that you need to do. The first one is you need to plant seeds. You've got to plant some seeds. When we first started the jar, the place that I picked was right here at the downtown Muncie YMCA. I volunteered and signed up to coach any sport that they offered. 
It was baseball, basketball, and soccer. I would have done curling had they had curling. Would have been a little boring, but I would have done it. And on one particular team that I was coaching basketball, before the very first practice, a guy came up to me and he said, Hey, do you need some help? Have any of you ever coached five, six, seven-year-olds? Do you think you need more than one person to do something? You need ten, you know? And so I said, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. And so during that time, he said, well, we, you know, we'd start doing all the trips and then after, or all the drills, and then after, uh, after the practice, he came up and he goes, uh, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a plumber. I put up with a lot of people's... <laughs> I didn't really say that. But I always hate that question because what happens is I have to say I'm a pastor and there are some bad stereotypes of pastors. And a lot of times people just shut you off. They don't say anything. So I try to wait as long as I can to ever introduce myself so that they'll know that I'm already messed up. And they'll go like, and you're a pastor? And so I finally told him I'm a pastor, and I'll never forget, this is what he did. He looked straight at me and he goes, ah, great. (laughs) Gotta love that encouragement, you know. And this is what I found out afterwards. He was going to quit. He wasn't ever going to coach again. In fact, he told his wife this. He said, I didn't want anyone to stuff or cram Jesus in the church down my throat. Little did he know, I wasn't going to do that. And so I just kept planting seeds. Talked about our family, talked about all kinds of stuff. Talked sports, everything. Just planted seeds. I didn't cram Jesus, I just showed Jesus' love. Well, that season ended. There was no come to Jesus moment for him. But the next year, he said, hey, we were pretty successful. I'd like to coach with you again. I'm like, sure, no problem. So we started coaching again. And I started asking about his spiritual background a little bit more. And we had some spiritual conversations. He started asking spiritual questions. And I finally told him one day, I said, hey, Mark, I said, you know what? The church is messed up. Believe me, I know. But Jesus is never messed up. And I want you to know that the church is the best community you'll ever be a part of. Even all of the mess-ups, mistakes that we make is the best community there is. And I felt a prompting right then just to stop, not to push it anymore, not to go any further, just to let it go. I planted the seed and I walked away. I was going to let him think about that for a few weeks. You see, folks, when you're planting seeds, you don't have to be responsible for the harvest. There is one who is responsible for the harvest, but he just wants you to plant seeds. So when you plant the seeds, you don't have to be like, now you're ready? John 3.16 says, they're like, whoop-dee-doo. So you just plant the seeds. You see, I want to give you an illustration of what it really happens with your friends. This is what happens, whether you believe it or not. We'll put up the illustration. Here is the cross of Christ. 
Eventually, what happens is someone takes steps to where they finally get to one side of the cross and they take a bridge and they come to a step of faith. They cross a line of faith. Now, most people, folks, start on the left-hand side at a negative 10. I'm not saying they're a negative 10, okay? So if you're here for the very first time, you're like, he just called me a negative 10. No. We just said that you think about the church as a negative 10. You might think of Christ that way. You have a negative opinion towards Christ and the church. And so that's where you start. They're very cynical about it. And they're like, hey, I want to keep an arm's distance from the church. And I totally understand why. Have any of you watched anything on television before of a Christ follower? And afterwards you're like, ugh. And you see people get on there and they, they just make the church, they make Jesus look really bad, but they make the church look horrible. People are like, if that's it, I'm not signing up. You look on the internet and you have these people, I'm for Jesus. Hate everybody. But love Jesus. You're like, what? And what about the radio? You ever been going through the radio before? And all of a sudden you hear somebody going, radio. You're like, what what'd they say? Radio, God. And you're like, what? And people just... So I totally get why people don't want to do that. But sometimes, if you plant some seeds, God starts working and they get away from all of those stereotypes and things start moving and you love people and you accept them and you have no judgment towards them whatsoever. You accept them as is. And eventually what happens is they go from a negative 10 to a negative 8, to a negative 6, to a negative uh, 4, negative 2, until finally they get to the point where they cross the line of faith. And what you usually find is that someone was patient with that person, loved them in a non-judgmental way, until the point where they finally got to where they could cross the line of faith. Now with Mark, who was my assistant coach, we started at negative 10, and it took a long time. There were a lot of seeds that were planted. But I realized that there was another practical step. You can't just do nice things for people and think they're going to come to Jesus. You finally, eventually, have to start a small spiritual conversation. You've got to create opportunities to talk. And finally, one day, I took the risk after almost a year and a half, and I invited him to come to church. And to my amazement, he's like, yeah, I'll check it out. And so he showed up with his wife and his two boys. And then I was like, ah, this is probably one and done, you know. Kind of like Kentucky basketball players, you know, just, just kind of one and, uh-oh, here we go. There's someone in our midst that is from there. I won't say anything. But I really thought, I thought Mark was one and done. I really did. I thought he was one and done. But then he came back the next week, and I was shocked, actually. And then he just kept coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. And there were more conversations. And finally, I invited him. I was like, hey, Mark, uh, we do this thing called a small group. He's like, it's not weird, is it? I'm like, well, my, my wife's kind of weird. But, you know, I mean, most of the people are normal. Just joking. Don't send me an email. 
And uh, so they came, he and his wife, and they started hanging out, and they loved it, and they started growing more. And then finally, one day in a small group, it wasn't on a Sunday, in a small group, the curriculum that we had allowed people to take an opportunity to accept Christ. And Mark and his wife, Cresta, said, we're ready. And that's what they did. And a couple of months later, they were both able to get baptized and their two kids were dedicated. And it was such an amazing thing. But folks, it all began with planting some seeds and starting spiritual conversations. Because this is the truth about every single one of your friends who is disconnected from Christ or the church. There is a hunger for God inside them. They're longing for something more. They want something more. They don't want what's on the television. They don't want what's on the internet or the radio. They want someone to love and care for them like Jesus does in such a way that it would draw them closer to him. You know, I was thinking this week that, you know, the Hurricane Matthew has just been all over the place. Over 500 people have lost their lives in the Caribbean. And I have a feeling that many of your friends, co-workers, neighbors, they're asking questions and they're longing for someone to go, what do you think about this? Do you struggle with that as well? Do you have doubts? You see, one of the, the biggest problems that we have when we get closer to God is that we stop being as transparent and real about some of the doubts that we have in our lives. And one of the things that I realize more and more that I have tons of doubts. There are things within life and in my personal faith I can't put all of the dots together sometimes. And I struggle to really understand who this God is because this is what I understand. I can't fully understand an unlimited God because His ways are so much higher than what my ways are. And people who are far from God, they want someone to be real enough to go, I don't understand the mystery of God. There's things that happen in this world that I don't get, injustices that don't get taken care of. I don't know. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a whole series leading up to Thanksgiving simply called I Doubt It. So that people who have doubts can actually come and be in a safe place. That's why I would encourage all of you, take the time now to start inviting people. October 23rd, I Doubt It. Because this is the thing, folks. Just because I have doubts doesn't mean I have faith. But many times what happens is it's in the midst of my doubts that I grow in my faith. It's okay for you to have questions and to not always have the answers and to walk with people in the midst of that. And so I'm challenging you guys to think about doing that and to be strengthened to sow some seeds, to plant some conversations. Now let me be straight with some of you. Some of you are good people. You love God. Maybe you pray. Maybe you read your Bible. This is what you think, though. That simply the aroma of your Christian life will bring people to Jesus. Let me tell you this. You don't smell that good. You don't. You can't just walk through life thinking that the aroma of your life is going to do that. Scripture actually says this. It says, faith comes by, what's the last word? And how can you hear? 
Someone has to speak. Folks, planting seeds and being kind and compassionate, all those things are important. You need to do that. But there comes a time in which you actually have to communicate the Christian message if it's going to be expressed. Which means you're going to have to spark a conversation. You're going to have to take a huge risk to start something. And today I'm asking all of you, all jarheads in this place, are you ready to increase your risk? Can you step up the risk factor to have conversations with people? I mean, Jesus was a master at this. There's a story in the Bible in which one day Jesus is at a well. And as he's by this well, a woman comes up to him. And she had gone to that well many times getting water for her family. But on this particular day, as she does that, Jesus stops her and he says this, Wouldn't it be cool if such a thing like living water would quench your internal thirst for eternity for the rest of your life? She's like, living water? He's like, yeah. You want to hear about it? She's like, sure. And Jesus plants some seeds at a well and then all of a sudden starts a spiritual conversation. And the scripture tells us that she came to God her whole life And then she went into the city and that happened as well. Jesus picked a place called the well. He's planted some seeds. And then he started these conversations. And eventually it led to her coming to faith in God. Planting seeds, starting conversations are huge eternal impacts. And sometimes what happens when you do that over time, a person just gets a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. But you've got to speak. Remember, folks, you don't smell that good for them to just come to Jesus. You've got to share that message. Now, there's going to be a day that after you planted some seeds, you've shared some uh, conversations, that the day is going to come in which you've been praying for this place, you've been asking God to show up, that someone, there's going to come a point that someone's going to actually come and they're going to blow your socks off. A few years ago, there was a guy and his wife who were attending here at the jar for multiple weeks. And I eventually found out that he had been diagnosed with kidney and bone cancer. And so had different conversations and finally one day he called me and said, hey, would you come to my house? We wanted to invite you over for lunch. I'm like, sure. I'm always ready to eat, you know? And so I went to his house, and I walked in, and we ate, and then we had some small talk. And then he said, I want to get this thing done today. And I was like, what thing? He's like, I want to get this thing done. This like this Jesus and this Christianity kind of thing. And I'm like, Okay. Now, I always want people to understand what they're getting into and what is the message of Christianity. So I asked him, I said, well, could I have a piece of paper? He's like, sure. And so I took a piece of paper and I wrote down this first word, D-O, do. And I simply said this. I said, religion is spelled D-O. It's about the things that you have to do. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And so I put this down on this piece of paper. And he said, well, tell me more. And I said, well, religion 
Spelled D-O is about doing things. Like you've got to fly higher. You've got to clean up your act. You've got to be straighter. You've got to understand more things. You've got to act and pretend like you're spiritual. You've got to give money. Religion is spelled D-O. There's this quota that no one knows what it is, but we're all doing our best to try to reach it on this D-O train. And I said, what happens is people do tons of hoops and drills to try to finally get to that point. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Then on that same piece of paper, on the other side, I wrote the word D-O-N-E. Done. And I said, that's what Christianity is about. Jesus Christ has already done everything for you. He took all of your sins, everything from your past, present, and future on his shoulders, and mine too, and he went to a cross and he died, and three days later he rose again so that he could promise to everybody, it's already been done for you. That's Christianity. It's what Christ has already done. So I looked at him, I said, so what's your choice? And this guy was a little bit older than me, and he said, I'm not only done, I'm cooked. And he accepted Christ. And he got baptized. And a few years later, he died. And I often wonder, what would it have been like if I wouldn't have taken that risk? You can do that. You know how to spell do? It's right there. You know how to spell done? Right there. You put it on a paper. You let them know and all of a sudden they get it. My Uncle Phil for most of my life uh, was the most cantankerous person I've ever met. He uh, was so cantankerous, he actually read the Bible through two times, all the way through. But he never believed. Most Christians never read the Bible through. What, we're not going to take a survey right now. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this guy, was he didn't, he didn't even believe it. And he read all the way through. He read everything, anything he could read, he was reading. And he always saw himself as a really good person. I mean, he was a redneck, as big of a redneck, like, you know, like the whole controversy with the Confederate flag, and, you know, it's totally against what my perspective is, but he would be that guy, you know, that would be there, and it was just horrible. And then one day he had a major heart attack, and he got paralyzed all on his left hand, left side of his body. He was going through physical therapy. He had no one. He lived as a loner most of his life. No kids, no anything. And so I got in a plane, I flew down to Florida, and I hung out with him at his rehab and then took care of some of the stuff in his house. And one day, we were in his room, and it was just he and I, and I had been reading a book called uh, Just Walk Across the Room. If you've never read it before, I'd strongly encourage you uh, to do so. We, We have a picture of it here But I'd encourage you to go ahead and and to read that. It might be there eventually. But But you can write it down. 
But in that book, the author, his name is Bill Hybels, he actually has uh, this morality ladder that he calls. And so I asked my uncle, I said, now I realize that you don't know God and you don't believe in God and you really don't much to do with God, but let's just imagine for a second that God exists And I drew this ladder and I said that God is at the top of this morality ladder. He is totally good. He is totally uh, righteous. He is totally loving at all times. I said, just imagine it. He's like, okay. And then I said, well, what rung of the ladder do you have to get to before you're finally accepted by this righteous God. And my uncle said this, I don't know, it's not my God. I really don't like him sometimes, you know. And I said, well, good point. And so I said, well, just for the sake of argument, who is the goodest person you know? And the reason I use goodest is because it drove him crazy to have anything like that. And I said, who's the best person? Who's the best person that you know? And he thought a bit for a moment, and he goes, I'd say your dad. And I started laughing. I'm like, serious? He's like, oh, no, it's your dad. I was like, oh, my dad is good. He's a good guy. He's, you know, he's been a good dad, good pastor. Okay, I'll, I'll put that down. But Uncle Phil, let me tell you. I lived with him for 18 years. He's not that good. And uh, I said, honestly, I think if my dad were here right now, he would tell you, he'd say, man, there are a lot of people who are much better than I am, and they would be further up along that ladder. And so I said, so let's put dad right here. And I wrote down JB, John Bunch, right down at the, the middle of the ladder. I said, you know, someone I think that's probably just a little bit more than my dad, maybe a lot more, is uh, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was alive at the time, and I'd been reading a lot about her during that time, and I said, you know, I read a lot of stuff about her. Beautiful woman. She saved tens of thousands of lives of humanity because of all the good work she did in in India. And I had tremendous respect for her. But I said, I read some of her books, and she talked about the fact that she had bad thoughts. She had evil things that she had done, that there were times when she would disobey her superiors. And so I think even Mother Teresa would say, when it comes to a perfect God and then me, that I would have to put her here. So how about if we put her right here and I just put MT? My uncle didn't say anything. I said, hey, I think of another person, too. I bet you've heard of him before. His name is Billy Graham. I said, I've read some of his books. I went to one of his crusades. I mean, this guy, you know, he's done amazing things. But I've read enough about him that even Billy Graham would say that he is a huge sinner. He does a lot of things that are not honoring to God. And I think if Billy Graham were here, he would say, compared to Mother Teresa, I'm below that. And so I just put down BG. Now, Uncle Phil, I'm sure you wish this conversation was over right now, don't you? And you know, you think of a loving uncle would be like, no, I think it would be great. He said, hell yes. 
But I just want to share with you a couple more things, Uncle Phil, and then we're going to be done. I said, looking at this ladder, I said, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I said, I started the church. Jennifer and I, we give a lot of our money away to people. We care for people. We've gone on mission trips. We've done a lot of good things, a lot better things than you. He's like, yeah, I know. And I said, but I think even myself, if I had to like put myself here, I would have to be, I think you're right, I'd be south of my dad. And so I put my name there. And so finally I got to the point where I said, well, Uncle Phil, where do you think you would rank yourself at this ladder? And immediately he didn't really say much. He just kind of sat there and he was kind of looking. And I said, well, where would you put yourself? I had to ask him again. He's like, I don't know, but I'm screwed. And I said, well, not really. I said, honestly, everybody on that ladder is screwed. Because none of us can reach to that point of perfection. In fact, Scripture says, Uncle Phil, that all have sinned. All, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I said, this gap between us and God The only way that it gets made up is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And then I just drew a cross that went down to Mother Teresa and to every other person. Well, I'd love to say that after my illustration that I took from this book, my uncle sat there and goes, I want Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. Guess what he said? It's time for you to leave. I know it, it, it's hard that someone would kick me out, isn't it? I mean, it wasn't the first time. And I left and went on. He never accepted Christ. Until five minutes before he took his last breath. And my dad held his hand. And he led him in a prayer. And he accepted Christ. Now this is what I believe. I believe that it just took my uncle many more seeds to be planted. Many, many more conversations before he ever came to the line of faith. He could have experienced so much more joy in this life. But I know that because of all of those things, that we'll see him one day in heaven. And he eventually crossed the line of faith. You see, folks, the Bible is very, very clear. You need to understand this when you're talking to folks. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm just figuring this out for myself. Or you're here for the first time, you're like, I don't even know everything that you've talked about. This is what I want you to know. Is that your relationship with God is not based upon how many good things you do or how many bad things you do. Titus 3.5 says this, Not by works of righteousness, not by the good things or the bad, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. It's about what Christ has already done for you. And it's about you receiving it, not about you having to do something for it. So you've got to start those conversations. And every once in a while, you get to the point where a person actually says, I'm ready. What do you do? And I always turn to this scripture. It says, everyone...
who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How many people is included in everyone? I just, how many? Like everyone, like all, whoever. But you got to call. I just called to say, remember that? Stevie Wonder Man, that was my, that was my, Jen and I, we'd be like, well, I won't tell you what we did, but man, it was, that was my thing right there. <laughs> I'm messed up. But you got to call. A person eventually has to make a call. And what does the call look like? Well, it's very, very simple when you're working with a person. You say, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. we got to make a call. And this is how you call. The first thing you do is you say, I'm sorry. You see, folks, if a person can't say they're sorry to God, they're not ready for a relationship with God. Because that person, you, me, every human being, has done so much stuff against God. We have walked away from God. We've ignored God. We've used His name in vain. We've done horrible, terrible things. The first thing you got to do is help them to know, here's a God who is way, way, way up high. He's way perfect. And you have to say, I'm sorry for the things I've done. Then after I'm sorry, the second thing you do is you say thank you. God, thank you for the cross that you allowed your son to die upon so that I could be reconciled to you. It's what you've done on the cross. And then the third thing is, you eventually have the person simply pray, please, please forgive me of my sin and please help me to begin my relationship with you. And I've had this experience with dozens and dozens of people where I've taken them through this and I've prayed with them and then afterwards they open up their eyes and you can see there's a redeemed person there, a new person created in Christ. Folks, today I want to challenge you to take some risk, to plant some seeds, to start some spiritual conversations. For some of you, you could do that with some folks that you know right now. You just spell two words, do, done. You can explain that. For others of you, it might be this ladder of morality. A person's like, I, I think I'm a good enough person. I'll get to heaven. Are you this good? Because we could put down all of these different names. And you see, it's only because of the Christ that there is a gap that is bridged. And so I want to challenge you to elevate your risk level. Now, as I, as I was putting this together today, I realized that there might be some people here today for the first time or a few times, or maybe you've come a lot of times, but you've never really made this thing right with God. You honestly always thought that a relationship with God was about doing things for Him. So you kept on trying to work harder and do more and do more and do more. And today, it finally clicked in your head. You're like, it's been done. It's already done. I don't have to do anything. Maybe some of you, you pegged yourself as a pretty good person. I'm a good person. But when that latter illustration was shared with you today, you're like, whoa, yeah, compared to that. I mean, I need Jesus in my life. And maybe some of you have drifted away from God. And now 
You're wondering, is it too late? It's never too late. Drift back. Drift back. And maybe for you today, you're like, you know what? I need to say those words. I'm sorry. Thank you. Please come into my life. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And I'd like to lead us in a prayer. We're going to turn off the lights and we'll give you an opportunity just between you and God. But I want to invite you to share a prayer. And we're going to do it all together. But if this is the first time you said this prayer, I'm going to invite you to fill out a little card here in just a second. And... uh, You can just fill it out. You can come up and you can leave it here. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up as well. And if you'd like prayer for anything, they'd pray with you. But if you're accepting Christ for the first time today, if you're like this, man, this is my day. I don't want to do anymore. It's already been done. Then you can fill that out and you can come up here. But I want to lead us in a prayer right now. And I'd just like you to repeat after me this prayer and I'd like all of us to do it together in unison to encourage those who might be praying it for the first time and so let's pray just repeat after me Heavenly Father I am sorry for my sins forgive me for them make me new thank you for going to the cross and rising again so I could live for you. Please fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand for everyone who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God. We're so glad you're here. And we want to end by having you guys challenged to follow God as you go from this place. So um, Chuck and the band will lead us. Um, Where you go, I'll follow. Where you go, I'll go. Let's see.
loved in this place. If you filled that card out for the first time, please come up. If you'd like prayer for anything. Have a great week, guys. Have a good one.